Welcome to On The Way, a podcast to help you make a meaningful connection with Jesus every day in the midst of your day-to-day. Hello, Jaime. How are you doing today? Hey, Alex. How are you on this uh, Monday morning? I'm ready. We're ready. This is the uh, first uh, sermon Q&R session. You ready for this? I think I am. We how got, about you? We got, well, you know, I'm going to give you the hard ones, and that's how it's going to work, I think. That, <laughs> I, I heard that that's what you told the people up at Woods. That's what I told people up at Woods. <laughs> uh, we had a great, great Sunday on Easter Sunday, and uh, glad to take a few questions here. Um, so, all right, so we obviously looked at the uh, Road to Emmaus story. Quick recap if you weren't there. And uh, Jesus shows up to a couple guys, and kind of incognito for a little bit, but then reveals himself. And there's a really powerful moment there where their eyes are opened. And the the question that we got from uh, someone is, why didn't Jesus show up like this to everyone? And maybe more specifically to me, why doesn't Jesus sort of reveal himself more broadly in this way, the way he did to these two men on the road to Emmaus? Jaime, what do you think about that? I think there's a couple angles we can take to that question. So, I mean, first I'll take the the angle in the in the in the scene or in the text in the sort of historical moment. Why didn't Jesus show up the same way to everyone? Um, I think partly it's Jesus shows up to people in the way they need, mm. uh, and I think he shows up in different ways to provide different accounts for uh, his resurrection. Different different things, different beats that he hits at each account. So I mean, he he eats at some of them. He has people touch him at some of them. Um, and I think those sort of the, that adds to a, a mountain of evidence uh, against maybe some of the the narratives that could form as plausible explanations for what people experience that would be not resurrection. Uh, and so I think that's that's one of the angles that I might take. Yeah, it's interesting. Well, I mean, it's interesting that the uh, the road to Emmaus it's one of the longest post resurrection narratives mm-hmm. we have, right? In terms of the just the amount of text and and how much is invested in there. And it's interesting to think about. You know, to, to these two guys, he shows up on this journey from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And then to his disciples, he appears on a beach while they're out fishing, right? Kind of mm-hmm. Peter says, I'm going to go fishing. That's in John, right? And they, uh, so there, there, are, there are particularities to the way that Jesus uh, appears. And then we also have some stories that we also have ref- references to appearances that we don't have accounts of. So Paul at one point talks about how Jesus appears to several hundred, mm-hmm. you know, like a, kind of a more of a mass showing, Um and most of his folks are still alive when he's writing his letters. So, so we do have these resurrection appearance stories uh, that each have their own unique flavor, which I guess shouldn't be surprising the way that given how Jesus interacted with people during his lifetime, right? That he's always, he's, he, he almost never does the same thing twice, right? He's always sort of, uh, the one thing, I think C.S. Lewis is a great, great, uh, great, great little thing he writes where he says, the one prayer that Jesus almost never answers is encore. Like to do the exact same thing again, Jesus is always sort of, uh, attending to the particularities of people, space, time, and uh, there's a way the Emmaus resurrection has its own uh, flavor, but it's very uniquely Jesus, and it's very specific to who these people are. And, ev- and even to show himself to to these two guys who we don't have any other reference to other than that, I don't think, do we? Do we have yeah, any? I don't think we do. I don't think we do. I mean, what I find striking about this one and uh, is that uh, most of the story is meant for the audience reading it or listening to it because the actual their actual experience of knowing that it's the resurrected Jesus is basically the blink of an eye. Yeah. Right? Throughout most of the experience, That's they right. don't know that it's the resurrected Jesus. They know in hindsight, 
But uh, we're the ones who get to see, or as, as we listen, and not ju- just us, but the people throughout history, as we read or listen to the story, is we get to see a Jesus who, who can walk, which means he's likely kicking up dust. He's likely wearing the clothes of a traveler. Um, it, the, the wind probably had effects on his hair, right? Nothing about his appearance indicated to them that he was anything other than a traveler who right. was on the way with them or to other people. That's right. Yeah. So I, I, I really find that uh, striking. It's, I think that it's the longest account of Jesus keeping himself hidden. It's not the only one. Uh, there are other instances where people see something, they don't recognize it's Jesus immediately. Uh, like Jesus reveals himself to Mary uh, right. and Mary turns on, oh, rabbi, now, you know, I, oh, now I can see it's you. But before she thought it was, he was a gardener. So, but this is the one that that sort of tracks the longest without him being recognized, which I think is pretty interesting. Yeah, that came up in my small group last week. We're talking about it. What's the the the? And I didn't talk about it on Sunday because I didn't have time for it. But maybe you did it on Sunday. I haven't had a chance to hear Simon's Honey's version of Easter Sunday yet. The question of why does he keep himself hidden? What, what was your uh, what was your take? What what I talked about on Sunday is that. Um, Partly what I think is that uh, he keeps himself hidden because that's what they needed. They needed to not be able to recognize him so that they could share the things that they shared. Uh, If he would have revealed himself, I think a number of things could have happened. I think they could have gone straight into celebration. And and also I think they might have considered maybe feeling shame or embarrassment because the risen Jesus is appearing to them as they've left the place where they were supposed to stay and wait for him. And so there could have been a sense where they could have felt some condemnation or shame, uh, might have felt that maybe Jesus was going to judge them. Um, but uh, having the space to process what they were thinking and having the opportunity to have their understanding of Jesus reframed before they saw him, uh, I think was was crucial for them. Yeah. It reminded me of that scene in, uh, was it Huck Finn and Tom Sawyer, where he's like, sees his own funeral. He's president of his own funeral, and here's what people say about him. You know, there's a way where Jesus has that same kind of experience with the way they're talking about him. In that moment, it's uh, it's sort of funny. Now, this person's question sort of has a follow-up, the the more personal level, right? So, what do you think when you think about Jesus's uh, really unique appearance appearance in Emmaus and other resurrection appearances? What about for us? Yeah, I I think Jesus still reveals himself to us in unique ways, Um, and you know, as to why he doesn't appear to us in bodily form, I think there's a sort of a turning point when the ascension happens, where that in some ways is is kind of off the table. Uh, I think there was a time for Jesus to be appearing in bodily form, and, and when that was done, well, it's kind of done. But um, Jesus still appears or reveals himself to people in, in pretty unique ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, there are stories from around the world of people experiencing Jesus in visions, uh, very clearly visions, not something that's physically there, people who experience Jesus in dreams, um, and people still encounter Jesus in Scripture. They encounter him in prayer. Uh, I mean, his Holy Spirit is is present and is among us, so there's still a way in which we can experience God and Jesus on a daily basis. In terms of why doesn't he appear in bodily form to us now, I'd say, well, because we were born in the 20th century or in the 21st century, depending on on who's asking the question. It's just, you know, we're, we're living in a different time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How about you? What do you think with that one? Yeah, I mean, I think the uh, there's just something that Jesus continually talks about about 
eyes to see and ears to hear. And the truth of the matter is there's people who, who he appeared to, uh, at least prior to his, his death and resurrection, that were in his presence and didn't see him. And I think actually that's still true today, mm-hmm. you know, that there's people that we have encounters with Christ in, a, in any number of ways where there's, uh, where the Lord's at work and, um, and we just miss it. And I, I mean, I miss it still in my own life, right? Mm-hmm. I miss it too, even in, in, as someone who tries to be awake to what, to what's available to me, what God's doing around me. Um, you know, I came into, I came into this new year. One of my prayers coming in the new year is I'd just be more present to, to Jesus's grace available to me at kind of moment by moment and less kind of caught up in what's next or whatever. And I think, uh, that's helped me to be more awake and available to what Jesus is doing around me. I do think the, uh, I do, I do know stories of people who've experienced Jesus in visions and dreams and had dramatic encounters with Christ. Um, and I think those are, those are wonderful. And I do think that those are the exceptions, right? Yeah. That, 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 this, that the most of us meet Jesus in, uh, in more subtle ways and quieter ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think, I don't think that's, I don't think that's less, I think there's a way where the, uh, the headline of the appearance, the physical appearance is so powerful and palpable, um, uh, but I don't think the I don't think the other appearances are less important or significant in any way. I agree, and I think the the confusion or the the sort of the 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 trap in in this line of thought can be to say, well, if if Jesus were only to appear before me uh, in resurrection resurrected form and bodily form, if he were to do that, then I would definitely believe. I would know it's real. Right. And yet the the scriptures are full of accounts where people in the gospels as well people experience Jesus, they see him. They're with him. They hear. They see miracles, and they still don't believe. That's right. Uh, but what I think is true is that Jesus reveals Himself to us in the way that we need. He gives us what we need in order to trust, in order to believe, um, and He knows us better than we do. Yeah. I, I, yesterday, in my message, I talked about how these there's these off ramps to awakening, like that, mm-hmm. that Jesus invites us into awakening, and there's off there, the the men on the road to Emmaus have choices to make, mm-hmm. right? To, to to lean in or to dismiss Jesus. Yeah. I mean, he he. he he insults them at one point. You're foolish and slow to believe, and they continue to lean in even when Jesus, even when it's hard to stick with Jesus. Yeah. Uh, so a stranger shows up and asks them what they're talking about. They could blow them off then, and they could blow them off, especially when he starts insulting them. Essentially, uh, and there's a way where they continue to lean in to sort of stay on that that journey. And I think that there's ways. I, I, I think there's ways that we think, particularly for people that we love, man, if Jesus would just have uh, do something dramatic in their lives, and then maybe they would finally come around to believing. And I think mm-hmm. the truth of the matter is. Uh, Sometimes that happens, but uh, if you're pre if you if you're predisposed to dismissing the whole thing anyway, yeah. then that's likely you're, you're likely to continue to do that, right? You've habituated if you've habituated a, a, a worldview where uh, God doesn't exist or it's not possible for for or you've dismissed Christianity and kind of that's your predisposition, then you're not then uh, it's not necessarily that someone who appeared from the dead would even change that necessarily. Yeah, I think there's no guarantee that the the miraculous will convince us to follow Jesus. Yeah, it's not right. it's not just believing, it's not just uh, cognitively being aware or emotionally feeling, it's making the decision to surrender. I I, I yeah. went to school with someone uh, when I was in high school who would say that he had been deathly ill as a child, that he had been prayed for uh, and that he was was 100% sure, because doctors couldn't do anything, that, that God had healed him. He, he would say that, wow. and the, the Christian God. He would, uh-huh. he would identify it in that way. Uh, and yet he was unwilling to follow. Like he, just, he, he had written church off. He had written God off. He just didn't really want anything to do with that. And, and I remember thinking, like, I, when I was at that time, I just, it did not make sense to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but but you know, at the end of the day, and John Stott talks about this in his book, Basic Christianity, uh, at the end of the day, 
we could have all our questions answered. We could have all the experiences uh, to, to prove, quote unquote, prove to us that this is real and worth following. We could have all the emotional encounters, but uh, if we're not willing uh, to, to surrender our will, That's right. to, actually, to actually put our will, align our will with Jesus, uh, then, uh, then it won't matter. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Good. Well, let me get one for me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I got a question here. Uh, it says, do I have to believe in a literal resurrection in order to follow Jesus? What do you think about that, Alex? It's such a great question. I was, I was reading an article a couple months ago, I think on US, in USA Today. It was, uh, it was written by a guy who called himself a secular Jesus follower. I think that he actually has a book, like Confessions of a Secular Jesus Follower, who essentially says, hey, Jesus teaches us some good things about morality and rules, and we don't have to believe in the miracles and the resurrection to uh, appreciate Jesus's teachings or whatever. So he was, he was essentially lobbying Christians to say, you don't have to, be, you don't have to believe all this to be a Jesus follower. And, um, and, I, and I do think, like, so on the one hand, uh, there is... We believe that Jesus is God incarnate, and when he tells us how to live, he's actually giving us, like, manufacturer's instructions. Like, yes, if we lived in keeping with the way that Jesus taught, like, the world would be a better place. Absolutely, right? That's uh, There's certainly no, uh, no, no dispute about that from my perspective. Uh, I think the, the question is, um, you know, it, the question is sort of, what's the heart of the Christian message, essentially? What's the heart of the Christian story? And... Uh, and I, th- I think resurrection is resurrection is the the essential. At one point, the, the, several points actually, the disciples after the resurrection talk about how uh, the, the resurrection vindicated Jesus, mm-hmm. in that Jesus makes assertions about himself that are ridiculous. Now, so so part of what's so weird about it for people who want to sort of strip down Jesus to just sort of a, a good teacher is there's just all these things you have to get rid of. There's all these teachings that you yeah. can't listen to, you can't attend to. There's all these things he says about himself. He's, he's like, he's, he's brutal to some people and you don't like that because that doesn't fit. So there's always ways that you see people throughout history try to strip Jesus down to, to some things that are kind of polite and acceptable, right? And, uh, but Jesus makes these really aggressive statements about himself that uh, are either sort of maniacally egomaniac kind of self-aggrandizing or they're true. And there's a way where the, the apostles sort of say, uh, Jesus teaches these crazy things and then God raises him from the dead to say, yes, he is the Messiah. Yes, he is the chosen one. Yes, he is the one who has been sent to be the savior of the world. He is the one who is the son of God, like the, like the one who kind of claims this and then God actually raises him from the dead to say yes and amen. So that there's a there is a larger thing that God is doing through Jesus that than just being a good teacher and helping us to get along better. Right? There's a there's a deeper, truer thing. And so so there's a way you can strip down Jesus and uh, and water him down to kind of make him vanilla and kind of just like vanillaize Jesus. Uh and um, and, and, and the truth of the matter is that's not what's changed the world, right? The, the, like for the last 2000 years, it's not just being like, like, love your neighbor is a wonderful teaching. That's not what's changed the world, right? The resurrection is actually the power behind this whole thing, this movement that has literally changed more lives than anything else in the last 2000 years. And so if you want to, if you want to take, uh, uh, the gospel without any power, right? Uh, Paul writes about this. You want to have a, a form of godliness without any power. Mm-hmm. You can take out the resurrection, have a form of godliness without any power that, uh, won't actually, won't, won't transform lives the way that the good news of a, of a resurrected 
Jesus has and continually does. And so I would say, I would say there is no Christianity apart from the resurrection. Mm-hmm. Um, the, re- the resurrection is sort of the, the, the pivotal turning point and the, uh, the vindication of all that Jesus said and taught. And he, and at the end of the day, it's sort of why we should bother to follow Jesus above any other teacher, any other religious teacher. All the other religious teachers throughout history have died. I mean, even you know, Abraham, even Moses, even good Old Testament teachers that sort of Jews and Christians love, right? None of them were raised from the dead for God to say, yes, you're my, you're my true prophet. You're my true uh, speaker or leader or the one. But Jesus has that distinctive advantage <laughs> over all other religious teachers. And I, I think that's what makes uh, the Christian story utterly unique, really, in, the, in, in history, and it's the power behind Christianity. So that's, that was my, my, my uh, off-the-cuff response to this, for this question. How would you take a crack at it, honey? Yeah, so I mean, I think this, this idea, do I have to believe in a literal resurrection in order to follow Jesus? My first question, like my question back would be, well, which Jesus are you following? Yeah. Uh, and that's where we get into some, it's, it's just hard, right? You mentioned like we can, we can make vanilla Jesus, and my thought is, uh, which brand? Uh-huh. Right? Uh-huh. Is it because sure. because right. there's lots of vanilla out there, but um, uh, you know, vanilla orange, yeah. Coke. <laughs> well, uh, so uh, Lydia, my, my wife, she she likes vanilla ice cream, and um, she can't find the particular brand that she likes since we've been here in uh, Chatham County. So she's been tasting, she's been buying different brands to figure out which one tastes the closest, which one can be an uh. acceptable substitute. And I think there's some there's some truth to that in this idea of uh, of uh, of the vanilla Jesus or of following Jesus without believing in the resurrection. When you start to strip away, right? Because in order to follow a Jesus that, that does not require uh, believing in the rest in the resurrection, you've got to strip away the parts where he talks about it. Right. Um, and so, and then, well, what else do you strip? And, uh, and so then you get into this, this, you, you can, you can go into, into two different camps. You can go into sort of the radical individualistic preference, which is, well, whichever, Whichever parts of his teaching that I want to follow, then that's what I'm going to follow. Uh, well, okay, you can do that, but you're not you're not following Jesus. You're following some of Jesus's teachings, right. and if you want to do that, that's your call. You know, you, you can do that. Uh, and then the other is you can go into this sort of other camp that says, well, um, you know, what we know about Jesus was really written down by some people, and you know. They they probably got the teaching right, but the resurrection parts, that's just them making stuff up. So we're going to take that part out. And, and you know, as a community, we're going to just sort of reorganize that. And, uh, I, you know, I think part of what that does is is it is it uh, indirectly, it creates this sort of um, uh, intellectual snobbery. Uh, chronological snobbery is what some people call it. It's like, you know, we know better now. We can organize a group of people better now to decide what are actually the legitimate teachings of Jesus that we should follow because it's hard for us to believe in the resurrection. And actually, I think I think saying outright, it's hard for me to believe in a literal resurrection is okay. Like, let's actually yeah, engage with that. That's right. Um, I think Jesus would rather have us sort of trying to figure out how to follow him while wrestling with with the ways in which uh, a literal resurrection is hard for us to believe 
than just putting that aside and saying, well, I'm just going to choose to not even engage with that mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and pick, some, pick some of the teachings to follow. Yeah, and it strikes me about that whole pick and choose thing is like all of us essentially want God made our own image, yeah. right? And all, and all it is, all, all we're doing when you're doing that is justifying, well, I can find a Jesus made my own image essentially yeah. and follow that teaching, right? And I'll, I'll, I'll do the Thomas Jefferson kind of white out the parts I don't like, right? Which is what he did. Um, and so for all of us would much rather make God our own image to be conformed into the image of God that's actually in us because that's uh, a lot more work. There's more demand on us. And I think that there is an element, it goes back to what we talked about earlier, this element of will and surrender mm-hmm. that uh, that is just a requirement to being a Christ follower mm-hmm. and uh, to, to genuinely following the fullness of Christ, right? And this uh, the sense of... Um, yeah, which Jesus are you following? I think it's a great, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a good question because it, 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 it exposes that uh, there's all kinds. Jesus covers so much ground and he says so many things so wonderfully. You can, you can pick any slice of Jesus' wonderful teaching yeah. that you want, right? right? And, uh, and, discard, and if you're going to discard the rest, there's lots of things that you can discard that just don't make you comfortable. Yeah, and, it's, and I think it's fine to normalize and say that, that there are parts of Jesus' teaching and his life and the accounts of his life that are problematic to everyone. Yeah, that's right. Like there's there's a part like everyone's gonna rub up against something, something. and it's gonna be problematic. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think you know I think there's people who will take the literal resurrection part and think, well, this is this is I mean this is clearly the most ridiculous or clearly the hardest one to believe. But that's true for them. Like there are some people who who have who have had supernatural events happen. Who for them that's not the hardest part to believe. The that's hardest right. part is to believe that that they that they shouldn't adulter. Uh-huh. You know that's hard. Uh, or that uh, that they shouldn't be able to take revenge violently on people. Uh, that's hard. And we may look at them and say, well, those people are just primitive. And I say that's presumptuous. Yeah. I mean, I think because Jesus embodied a perfect humanity, then the rest of us who are an imperfect humanity, in all facets of it, will find parts of Jesus' life, his ethic, his mm-hmm. teaching, that are going to be hard for us. And the response isn't to reject that and just accept the Jesus to our own liking, but actually wrestle with the parts that are hard uh, and then figure out, okay, how do we how do we deal with this? Yeah, that's great. I, mean, I think the idea that like there's always going to be resonance and dissonance with Jesus, yeah. right? Because uh, we're imperfect and... If he's God in the flesh, then he's going to kind of, there's going to be things about him that do push us and uh, push our buttons. And that was true for his followers as well. Absolutely. I mean, not just for the 12, but the people who came after. Absolutely. Uh, you know, there were some who, who, who the idea of a, of an, a, a re-inaugurated kingdom of Israel, a, 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 a real one, like a, a physical one, was the thing. And anything that felt like it was going against that was challenging. I mean... There are people who questioned him. The, 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 the Emmaus Road guys walked away because of it. Uh, but that didn't seem to be a problem for all of them. It seemed some of them had, had challenges in other areas. I mean, Judas seemed to have a problem with money. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Among other things, perhaps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, the people who gathered at Simon the leper's house had a problem with waste mm-hmm. uh, and what, what, was, what was placed on Jesus. I mean... And people have problems with. I mean, uh, Nicodemus had uh, had problems with uh, the idea of being born again. No. Um, yeah, it's, I think it's natural to bump up against things. Good stuff. Last question here, Ami. We're wrapping up. What's coming up next Sunday? What's coming up next Sunday is we are going to continue in our "On the Way with Jesus" series by talking about uh, one a beautiful portion of imagery and metaphor in Jesus's teaching, where he talks about the vine and the branches. 
and and uh, particularly, I think what what we want to land on, or what we want to emphasize, is that in order to be on the way with Jesus, one of the things we need to thrive, to experience joy, is to attend to the sense of remaining in Jesus. Uh, it's it's something that I think. Uh, it can be easy to fall into routine in life, even Christian routine, uh, and actually drift from remaining in Jesus. And we need opportunities to to recalibrate. And God actually is looking to recalibrate us. And receiving that is what then allows joy to flourish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I, I love this passage, and it's it's so it's it's such an interesting. Uh, remain is such a uh, not active verb, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> like to remain, like that's the word that Jesus uses again and again and again. We talked about sort of abiding, remaining, kind of sticking with. And I, I was thinking about this just the other day as I was preparing and looking at the passage, thinking about uh, how, uh, how hard it is though to remain on anything. Yeah. And, 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 and in our culture, frankly, like change is really the higher value than remain, right? So the question is, uh, are we going to be willing to embrace sort of a Jesus-style remain um, which does lead to change in our hearts mm-hmm. and lead to to joy and flourishing and to bearing real fruit. But uh, but man, like remaining remaining is a like a long obedience in the same direction, yeah. right? And it's sticking with something for a long time. And and I mean, like sticking with anything, any kind of plant that's a fruit bearing plant. Like there's times when you're looking at it, it doesn't look like anything's happening, right? And there's times in our own lives where I think that's true. Um, but uh, I think for us to understand fullness of joy, it does require um, the willingness to do that work of remaining. So I'm looking forward to, to, uh, to Sunday and unpacking that. Honey, any last words before we close out? No, I've had fun with this Q&A. I hope our listeners have enjoyed it, and I hope that they've enjoyed it so much that next week we'll have lots more questions to field. Yep, throw some questions. Thanks so much for joining us, and blessings on you as you're on your way. Hi, everyone. Steve Tamayo here with a quick plug following this wonderful Q&A. If you would like to submit a question, go to www.onthewaypodcast.org. There's a form you can fill out to submit your question. Questions submitted on Sunday have a much higher likelihood of being recorded on the following Monday. Thank you very much.